0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to C3SanDiego.com. The title of my message tonight is God Movers. God Movers. I'm not sure whether you realize this, but uh, God didn't make man a robot. Did, did, Did you notice that God didn't make you a robot? Now let me just say this, that there is some very, very bad theology. There's some very, very poor theology that basically, basically tries to dismiss free will. And I would, I would believe that if the world wasn't so jacked up. If the world was perfect, I'd say, yeah, it's probably true. Because everything we see, there can't be any free will because everything is a reflection of God's perfect will. But the fact that we have murder, the fact that we have violence, oppression, kidnapping, rape, you know, all kinds of nasty things, Tells me that, you know what, there's some other wills in play. There's some other wills in play. God gave you a free will. He said to Adam, of all the trees in the garden, you can freely eat. Knock yourself out. He says, there's one tree that's not free. And it's my tree. A lot of people say, "Well, how come God put that tree in the garden? If he didn't want him to eat of it, why put it there? Like if you're walking through a park and there's a sign on a park bench that says, wet paint, don't touch. I mean, what is it? It's something in us to, but that's only because of Adam's sin. That now if something's off limits or forbidden, it you know heightens in value. The Bible says, "Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is delightful." How is stolen water sweet? Water's not sweet; it's neutral. But stolen water, ooh! Bread eaten in secret, my precious. You know, all of a sudden. It goes up in value. So there's a lot of, lot of teaching out there that basically dismisses, but you need to understand that God created you and I to have interaction and engagement with Him. And there's a beautiful pattern all the way through the Scripture, and it's very, very important that you see this because you will not see it in uh, Eastern religions. Uh, you will not, definitely not see it in Islam. In Islam, they, are, they pray five times a day. They turn five, which is grace, into law. Five times a day, they have to face East, they have to face Mecca, and they have to pray. And they're told when they're praying to not expect Allah to answer because you are just a man, and Allah is God. Wow. You know, and He doesn't, wow. you know, respond. And that's that's not the God of the Bible. Nope. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, we, we find all the way through, He comes down and He He says He says to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost have a conversation, and they say, "Man, you know, Abraham's going to be a great man." He's going to be a great influence in the earth. Should, should we really do what we're about to do without telling Abraham what our plans are? And he's like, oh, you guys got making plans? Well, actually, Sodom and Gomorrah, the wickedness, the cry, the oppression, the devastation, we're going to wipe it out. And Abraham's like, sugar, my, 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 my nephew Lot lives there. And uh, i got, I got to save him. He's like, well, well, uh, hang on. <laughs> Just give me one moment. Would you really wipe out an entire city? If there were 50 righteous people in that city, would you, would you kill the 50 righteous people because of a whole wickedness of a city? Should not the judge of the whole earth do better? And God's like, you know what? He's got a point. Yep, if there's 50 people, we won't, we won't wipe out the city. And then Abraham's like, oh, hang on, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. What about 40 people? And then you're up yeah, for 40. And he's like, hang on, <laughs> 30 people. And God's like, okay, for 30, I won't do it. All right, hang on. <laughs> Permit me to speak one more time. 20 people. All right, for 20. Oh, hang on. That's probably not it. 10 people. And God's like, all right, for 10. For 10, I won't do it. They couldn't even find 10 in an entire city. Couldn't find 10 people. And so destruction came. But even when destruction was coming, God sent angels to go down and rescue Lot, his wife, and his kids. The sons-in-law, pff, they laughed. They thought it was crazy. But it was interesting because we see a picture with God that God wants to be engaged. God wants to be engaged. There's a bad theology that says that God doesn't change his mind. So come with me in your Bibles and let me just kind of explain it because I don't want to just pray for people tonight and you go home without being fed. You're going to be ministered to, but I want, I want you to be fed. So uh, are we all there? Psalm 89 verse 13. Psalm 89 verse 13 says, You, speaking to God, you have a mighty arm. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O oh Lord, in the light of your countenance. Let me let me just read verse fourteen again. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So you need to understand that that when 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 people say, well, uh, you know, it's foolish, it's bad theology, it's bad teaching to believe that God changes His mind. It's because. Men have tried to create a theology where we instead of try to understand the mind of God, we take the mind of God and we put it through the filter of the mind of men. The mind of men operates this way. It operates in a linear. It operates in a a linear projection. Man is, only dominant of what, man is only capable of one dominant emotion at one particular time. The Bible says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness is, is, is doing what's right. Justice is bringing judgment on what is wrong. And God has both in front of him. The Bible says, and mercy and truth go before him mercy and truth go before him the truth is that I was a sinner and because of my sin I was separated from God and if I would have died separated from God I would deserve to go to hell because I was a blasphemer I was a sinner that's the truth but the Bible teaches that God isn't just a God of truth and just a God of justice the Bible says that he's a God of righteousness and he's also a God of mercy and so what happens is you need to understand that God has both at his disposal we don't when we see in the Scripture the appearance of changing God's mind, all we're doing is we're not changing God's mind from doing harm or doing evil. We're just moving God from truth into mercy. We're just moving God from justice into righteousness, but they are both Him. That he is perfect in His justice and He is perfect in His righteousness. He is perfect in His truth and He's perfect in His mercy. We see this, we see this many times in the Scripture. Uh, one such time is... Uh, in in uh, the book of Numbers chapter 16, there's a story where uh, the people of Israel have sinned. And this is, this is about the fifth or sixth time they've complained and they've criticized and they've piped off against Moses. And God is like, I am, di- I am done. I am done with these people. Get away from them because I'm going to wipe them out. And so a plague begins because it's now the sixth or seventh time they've actually caused rebellion and division in the ranks and God is not taking it any longer. And the Bible says that when when the, the plague hits the people, Aaron and Moses fall on their face and Moses turns to Aaron, who's the high priest, and he says to him, Aaron, Aaron, run, run to the altar. Grab your altar of incense and put some fire on it and put some incense, which is worship, and run and make atonement for the people. See, Aaron is the high priest. His job was to stand in between God and the people and provide atonement for their sins. Now, God was wiping the people out because of their sins. But, but God had revealed himself to Moses, and Moses knew God. He knew that if somebody would be an intercessor, if somebody who was anointed by God and appointed by God would stand in the way that God couldn't knock him down God couldn't because God had anointed him and appointed him and so Aaron ran put some coals on the incense put some uh, put some coals on the on the sensor put some incense on it and he ran and the Bible says and he stood the people were falling and he stood right here and the Bible says that, that where he stood he stood in between the living and the dead he stood in between the living and the dead the judgment was coming this way but it stopped with this single man this man by the name of Aaron standing there with his sensor behind him, the people who were bracing for judgment, they were spared not because of their righteousness, but because of intercession that was made. Did God change his mind? No no, God was moved. God was moved, God was moved, God was moved, God was moved. God was moved because of the intercession of Aaron. One of my favorite scriptures is in Ezekiel 22. In Ezekiel 22 it says this uh, it says that, that God sought for a man among them who would build a hedge build a wall and stand in the gap so that he might not destroy the city God was just looking for a man to build a wall to stand in the gap to cry out on behalf of the city that he might not destroy the city but he found none because of the wickedness of the city God knew that judgment was coming Judgment was coming on the city because of their sin. But the Bible says God sent out His Holy Ghost. God sent out His Spirit searching, knocking on hearts, knocking on hearts, knocking on hearts. Will one person just stand up. I'm just looking for one. Will just one person stand up and say, God, please have mercy on the, Please forgive the people's sin. Please go. The Bible says that God delights in mercy, not sacrifice. The Bible says in Hosea 6.6 that mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus quotes it twice in the Gospel of Matthew. Have you not read? Do you not understand that God desires mercy, not judgment? And he's speaking to the religious people. Religious people are always judgment. They always love their judgment. The reason that we're not religious, I was preaching on Napoleon Dynamite this morning, played a few Napoleon Dynamite clips and had a lady walk out and then one of our leaders went out and tried to talk her to coming back in. I'm like, why would you do that? She's going to leave in another week. If Napoleon Dynamite offends you, oh man, what hope have you got? <laughs> let, let me tell you why we're not into a, a religious spirit in this place. Excuse me, I'm spitting on the microphone. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you why we're not, because it was religion, it was religion that drags a woman wow. and throws her down before Jesus and says, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. The law states that such should be stoned what say a ston- Thou, teacher, well, it's interesting. Last time I checked, it's hard to commit adultery on your own. Hello. If she was caught in the very act of adultery, which means sleeping with somebody else's spouse, where is the other party? It's already a setup. But religious people don't care about the details. They just care. They just want judgment. They they feel that if I can judge her, somehow it'll make me look holy. So Jesus wow, wow, you guys are so zealous for the righteousness of the Lord, aren't you? Wow, she should be stoned, all right? Whoever here is without sin, you righteous zealots, throw the first stone. And they all began to drop their stones. And then Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She's still waiting for the stones here. She opens her eyes, she looks around, she sees no one. She says, they've all gone, sir. He says, is there no one left who condemns you? It's interesting because Jesus is the Torah in flesh. Right. He, is. He, is, he is the Ten Commandments in flesh. He is the Aleph uh, Beit in flesh. He is the, the, the Word of God incarnate. He is the law of God in person. She has transgressed and broken the commandment. She has broken. She has violated the law of God. And he asks her the question, is there no one left who condemns you? It's interesting because she looks, she has to know. And when she looks into the eyes of the word became flesh and dwelt among us, she does not find judgment. She does not find condemnation. She said, there's no one left who condemns me. And Jesus says, that's right. I don't condemn you either. Now go, sin no more. Because love picks people up in their brokenness, heals whatever is broken, and then empowers them to live a changed life. That's why here at this church, you will find that we are relentless in pushing away religion, but we are passionate about being a church of love. Can somebody say amen? Because love changes lives. Love changes lives. So I need you to understand that, that God is not a, he's not a force. He's not a formula. He is a person. And just like you can be moved, God is moved. God is, sometimes He's moved by worship. He's moved by faith. It's a beautiful story where... Uh, Jesus is, is walking through the crowd and the Bible says a Syrophoenician woman, this is in, in Matthew, I think it's around 15, a Syrophoenician woman comes and she says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. My daughter lies at home severely demon-possessed. A demon is trying to destroy her life. And the Bible says Jesus answers her not a word, He is busy. The Bible says, so she goes after the disciples, please beg Jesus, please, you got to talk to Jesus. Please, if he's ignoring me, would you talk to him? Would you talk to him? So the disciples come to Jesus and said, Lord, will you send her away? She's crying out after us. So Jesus has to stop. And he says, sweetie, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is outside of my calling. This is outside of my mission mandate. This is outside of my jurisdiction. This is outside of my assignment. I wasn't sent to the Gentiles yet. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is not for you. The Bible says she falls on her knees and begins to worship. Like that's an interesting response for God saying no. Jesus says, sweetie, it's not my will. She's like, oh, it's not your will? You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. She begins to worship. He's like, that's not fair. (laughs) See, this woman knew, this woman knew, this woman knew the God, the God can be moved. This is going to rattle your head, but it's good for you to hear this. I am who I am and I am where I am today because I discovered God showed me that He, he is a person that loves to be moved. He, sometimes, sometimes God will say no just to see. Will you settle for that or will you move Him? The Bible says, the Bible says that He closed Hannah's womb that Hannah was barren because the Lord had closed her womb. You talk to most theologians today, they would tell you this, well, you know, we don't understand why the Lord closed her womb. All we can understand is the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Perhaps the Lord wanted her to explore the avenue of adoption. Maybe, you know, for her, a biological child of her own wasn't the will of God, but to adopt a child from, you know, and then the two verses later, two verses later, it says that Peninnah, her rival, provoked her because the Lord had closed her womb. But I like Hannah. Because Hannah's like, if God can close something, my guess is He can open it as well. I don't know why we think, well, you know, God closed it. Don't ask Him to open it. That's way too difficult for Him. No, no, if, if my kids close a drawer, I expect them to be able to open it. If they close the fridge, I expect them to be able to open it. If they close the gate, I expect them to open it. If God closed the womb, she's like, well, you closed it? You're going to open it. So she goes into the temple, into the house of God, and she's like, God, I ain't leaving here till you open my womb. And Eli sees her faith... And he says, woman, put your wine away from me. She goes, oh, I ain't been drinking no wine. This is not drunkenness. This is sorrow of the soul. I'm crying out to God right now for a breakthrough. And Eli is so rocked. He says, may God grant your request. The Bible says not only does she get pregnant and bring forth Samuel, when she brings forth Samuel, she sings a song. And, and the song goes like this, that she who was barren has brought forth seven. She who was barren has brought forth seven. Now, if you read how many children she had, there was Samuel, and then he had five brothers and sisters. So they didn't quite get to seven. But I love this girl. I love this girl. She prophesies after one. Hey, this ain't going to be the last one. This ain't just a fluke or this ain't going to be an accident. I'm going to prophesy. And she got to Six. She got to six. Maybe she's like, you know what? I, I'm, I got all these stretch marks. That's I'm done. I, I wanted seven, God. Just, you know what? We're good. We're, we're good now. We're good. <laughs> these little rascals, they're running around all over the house without diapers. You know what, God? It is good. It is six is good enough. So the Syrophoenician starts worshipping. She starts worshipping God. She's She starts worshipping Jesus. So Jesus has to now explain it. He says, sweetie, sweetie, listen to me, look. It's not good for me to take the children of Israel's bread, you know, what has been apportioned to them, and throw it to little dogs. Now, I've heard people say, you know, dog is not really offensive in the Middle East. No, no. There is not a language or a culture on the planet where calling somebody a dog is not offensive. Buenos dias, Pedro. It is offensive. It is offensive. Hey, Rottweiler face, how you doing? I just meant that in. Hey, Bulldog Chups. There is no language or culture where calling somebody a little chihuahua is not offensive. Jesus, first he ignores her, then he tells her it's not my will, and now he offends her. But watch this, the woman, I love this woman, She says, yes, Lord. I I know, I know you're not sent to the lost, you're only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Because what she's saying is, listen, I tried the psychiatrist. I tried the psychologist. I tried all the drugs. I tried all the therapy. I've tried everything in the world and nothing in the world can fix her. Nothing in the world can deliver her. But I know this. If I can position myself, even though I've ignored, if I can position myself, even though you said it's not my will, if I can come in through worship. See, she couldn't, she couldn't control where she was born. She, she, had, she had no say in how she came into the world. She was born a non-Jew. She was born a non-Israelite. She was born outside of the covenants. She may have been born outside, but she says, you know what? I know that God, remember John 4, Jesus is the Father, seeks those who worship in spirit and truth. She says, I may have been born on the outside, but you know what? I know some people who were born on the inside, they ain't worshiping you in spirit and truth. I may have been born on the outside, I can't control that, but what I can control is my worship. So she begins to worship God in spirit and truth and he engages her and and offends her and says, listen, I can't take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. She says, you know what? You ain't going to offend me. You ain't going to offend me. Because even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now here's the truth. She could have got offended and walked away. But you know who would have paid the price for her offense? The daughter. Do you know how many people got offended in church? And maybe you can still be a Christian. Not going to church. But you know who picks up the check? Your kids. It's always the kids. I've yet to see a kid on fire whose mum and dad left the church because they were bitter. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so the Bible says, she says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And this is what I've realized. There's more power in one crumb that falls from heaven than all the institutions on the earth put together. And Jesus says, oh, daughter, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And the Bible says when she went home, she found the demon had left her daughter the very moment Jesus said. The very moment Jesus said, I want you to know that God can be moved. God sends Jonah to Nineveh and He says, cry out against Nineveh, that great city. Their wickedness has come up and I'm gonna destroy it for 40 days, for 40 days. Uh, Jonah is prophesying the end of Nineveh. God is going to wipe you out because of your sin. When the king hears it, he, he, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and commands a fast in the entire city. The entire city go into fasting and prayer and God relents from the judgment. So much so that Jonah gets ticked off. It's like, man, my first assignment. I go in and prophesy and now I look like a false prophet. I said, you're going to wipe out the city and you didn't. He hated the Ninevites, but God's mercy was greater than his prejudice. You didn't hear that. God's mercy was greater than Jonah's prejudice. It looked like God changed his mind. All that happened was God was moved by their repentance. He was moved from justice to righteousness. He was moved from judgment truth. He was moved to mercy. You have the ability to move God. Your worship moves God. Your praise moves God. Your dedication moves God. When I was in Bible school, there were so many people smarter than me. There were people who were second time and uh, second generation and third generation pastors, kids. They grew up in church. They, they had all these advantages over me. But I knew that God loved obedience. And I thought, you know what? I might not be able to outsmart them and I certainly can't out history them, but I can certainly out obey them. I just made a decision, whatever God wanted, I'm gonna be the first to volunteer. I'm gonna be the first to put my hand up. I remember when I got to San Diego, I said, hey God, on a quiet time, I said, God, I I know I'm probably not your first choice. And I was hoping he'd say, no, no, you were my first choice. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> a little awkward. Uh, but still, I guess I introduced the subject matter. I said, all right, God, I probably wasn't even your fifth choice, you know, hoping he'd say, no, no, you were my number third, you know, or something like that. He goes, no, you weren't, in- oh, shoot, 10th, uh, nope. 15th? Nope. 20th? Nope. I got to like 50 before I'm like, I'm not even asking anymore. And then the Holy Spirit, how many people thank God for the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit's your helper. And the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, Yerkes, you don't have to know whether you're 50th choice, 51st choice, 74th choice, 100th choice. You don't need to know that. But what you can do is you can make a decision that you can be His last choice that He never has to go and then look for somebody else to do His will. One of the most beautiful scriptures is found in Hebrews 10 and it's a prophetic scripture about Jesus. And it's it's a prophetic scripture where Jesus is observing the, the hard heartedness of the Jewish nation, that they would sin and then they would bring their lamb and they would kill their lamb and go right back to their sin. Jesus says, "In bulls and goats, you no longer delight. In the blood of offerings, you no longer have any desire left. Behold, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God, a body you have given me. I have come to do your will. In other words, Jesus knew that God no longer delighted in theirs. And He says, but you gave me a body, and I recognize that I'm the Lamb. And you know what? That's why I'm here. I'm here to do your will. That's why in Gethsemane prays three times, not my will, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done. And He saves the entire nation. What Adam, the first Adam's disobedience put the mess in motion. But the second Adam or the last Adam, Jesus, His obedience put an end to sin, put an end to judgment, put an end to death so that you and I can have everlasting life. His act of obedience completely trumped, completely swallowed up Adam's disobedience. Come on, how awesome is Jesus? How awesome is Jesus?